Today we are wrapping up a series called Joseph. And um, um, we, we've been, I think this is maybe part five, I think is what we're in right now. And uh, we're wrapping it up today with his story. And if you don't know it, it's found in Genesis. And the story of Joseph is so amazing because Joseph's story in life is our life. And over the last four weeks, we've had several ups and downs. And matter of fact, I want to I want to kind of give you a recap. How, how many of y'all are thankful for the recap to or the context of scripture? Sometimes the pastor just start up reading scripture and you're like, where are we? What's going on? Where's Genesis? You're in luck. Genesis is at the beginning of the Bible. So you don't even have to be a Bible scholar to know where it is. Uh, but I'll give you a, kind of some context. We pulled this up last week and I thought it was helpful for us to kind of figure out. So Joseph, he starts his life in what we call the pasture. He's a teenager. He's 17. And and he's dreaming. How many of y'all were dreamers when you were 17? Come on, how many of y'all felt like you were untouchable when you were 17? How many of y'all felt like nothing bad was going to happen to you when you were 17, right? And so he has this amazing dream. He gets this Technicolor dream coat from his dad. He's the favorite kid from his favorite wife. Now, that's, this is a different time, okay? Guys, different time. I'm like, I couldn't hand, I could barely hang on to one. So he had more than one wife. This is his favorite wife, favorite kid from his wife. And he gives him his color coat. And his brothers get mad at him and toss him into a pit. So he's up and then he's down. He gets into a pit. And in the pit moment, he realizes what he did got him into the pit. And we talked about how to get out of the pit week two. Week three, Pastor Jason comes in and he talks about being in Potiphar's house. So he gets into this area where He's in a tough situation, but he makes the best of his situation. He redeems his situation, come on. And he becomes number two in Potiphar's house, he's up. And then the craziest thing happens, he gets accused of something he didn't do. And then he gets tossed into prison. Last week we talked about being in prison. What's it like to be in a place where you didn't even get yourself there, but how do you get yourself out? Or what do you do in the prison? What do you do when you can't get out? How do you endure? Talk about the endurance test, that was last year. And then this week we go from prison to now the palace. So let me give you some context before we read our scriptures today. So he's in prison, and then while he's in prison, he interprets a dream of two prisoners that are in there, and the prisoner goes out to back to the palace, and, and in the palace, the, the king at the time, Pharaoh at the time, he has a dream, and none of the people in his court can interpret it. And he goes, well, we gotta find someone who can do it. And so the guys in his court say, hey, there's this guy in prison. His name's Joseph. He's really good at it. And Pharaoh says, well, bring him into my house. And so Joseph interprets this dream for Pharaoh. And I mean, he's like amazing. So he becomes number two in the palace now. So he was number two in Pharaoh or in Potiphar's house. Now he's number two in the, in the palace. He was over, the Bible says he was over everything except for Pharaoh. So he's running the thing. He's basically king, other than being king. And he's in the best possible spot of his life. And then his dream comes true. So we'll rewind back to week one. Dream, his dream was that his brothers and everybody in the world were gonna bow and kneel to him. And so in the dream that Joseph interprets, there's going to be seven years of blessing and then seven years of famine. Well, we're now in the seven years of famine. And everybody around and all the provinces around the jurisdiction that Joseph is in are coming to them because they saved up for seven years because of Pharaoh's dream. 
And so they have food and they have resources. And so people are coming to them to get resources. And wouldn't you know, the people that are coming to get resources to jo- from Joseph and Pharaoh and his kingdom are, guess what? You guessed it, the people who tossed him in the pit, his brothers. This is, this is going to be so good for you who are justice people. Is anybody in here justice people? Like right is right, wrong is wrong, and they going to get theirs. Come on, this is it. This is your moment. You made it week five. The people that messed you up, they're coming and they're now kneeling at you. And that's what we're going to pick it up in verse 15. And it says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their fathers were dead, was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil we did to him. So they recognized they did something wrong. And they sent the messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, this is interesting to me. The Bible is so unique. So they're nervous to go talk to him because they know they did something wrong. Because Joseph could just kill him. And uh, they said, well, we're going to send a messenger. And this is what they're going to say, that your father died saying this, thus thou shalt say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of, your, of the God of your father. And then Joseph wept when they spoke to him. So they sent a servant, and Joseph meets with his brothers, and he he cries. So here it is. Here's the fifth test inside of Joseph's life. It's the offense test. It's the offense test. Because you're about to read. Here's his moment to give in to what has happened to him, right? And then his brothers also went down and fell before his face and said, behold, we are your servants. Here it is. Here it is. Then Joseph said to him, all right, don't be afraid. For am I in the place of God? Like, I can't judge you. But as far, but as for you and you meant evil against me. This is, you ever hear those songs they sing about all the time? What he, what the enemy meant for good, the evil, God meant for good. I mean, you got like, thousand songs. This is where that comes from. He says what the enemy meant for good, for, for evil and hurt against me, God meant it for good. In order to bring about to this day to save as many people as they can to keep them alive. Now, therefore, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. If you're taking notes today, uh, the title of my message is the offense test, the offense test. Let's pray. Father, Father, we love you. We, we serve you. We worship you. This is about you. This, this story is about Joseph, but in so many ways, it's about us. And, and we, we've crafted great sermons. We've done the best we can to make points. But at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is your Holy Spirit speaking to us for us personally. And, and so I, I pray more than anything that, God, you would speak to us today. Help us to see your face, to recognize who you are in our lives, to put where we put down our pride, we lift up our, our face to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. I, uh, I told my wife this week, I finally found it. I found a message that I haven't, I'm an expert in. I found it. Because I always tell people, I'm like, you know, like, hey man, like, I'm just a sinner trying to make it with a bunch of sinners to heaven. And, you know, in our church in particular, you know, we let everybody in. So it's basically we're all just going to scoot the tails of, you know, somebody more holy than all of us to get in the bag. I'm with them, you know, so that's like when we get into heaven. But um, 
I said, I feel like I found something that I'm an expert in. And she's like, well, what's that? I said, I get to teach the church about offense. She's like, well, you don't want to really be an expert in that. I said, I know. I know I'm really good at it. Isn't it true that you and I live right now, maybe in more than any time in human history, a world that celebrates perpetual offense? Like, we should talk about this. This is something we got to talk about. Originally, I was going to talk about forgiveness today. The funny thing about forgiveness, though, is that you can't talk about forgiveness until you deal with offense. So I'm grateful for forgiveness, but the problem with forgiveness is we teach a lot of great messages on forgiveness. The problem is, is you can't teach forgiveness until you teach how to deal with offense. I bet to say that your parents did not teach you how to do that. They're probably good people. They're probably good parents. They probably loved you a whole lot. Did the best they could. But I promise you, they probably didn't sit down and go, hey, little Timmy, here's what I need you to do. Listen, when you get offended, when somebody hurts you, this is how you handle it. When your heart starts to turn and you get offended and you get stuck, here's what you do about it. And because you didn't learn about it, you and I just deal with it. And we hit it with life. And our world right now celebrates offense. Not just, we don't just get offended. We like celebrate offense. We love the cancel culture flow. Like you did something to me, <laughs> thank you. I just needed that one. I'll take it. You out, right? And we celebrate it so much, we, we can almost get it really easily. I thought something was funny the other day. I was looking, I can't remember when it was, but I was watching Jimmy Fallon. Don't judge me. He's funny sometimes. And so um, he's like the least, I feel like the least angry talk, you know, late night host or whatever, you know, that's not trying to tell me stuff. But anyway. He had this funny bit where he, he, he did the, what they called the text message fail. Has anybody ever seen the text message fail bit on Jimmy Fallon? Okay, it, I'm so happy because you're about to laugh. Because most text message fails come from autocorrect. And interpreting, come on, interpreting text message in a way, right, that maybe didn't, that the intended sender didn't mean for the recipient, Right. So I thought I'd share with you a few of them that I thought were kind of funny because these are like the easiest. Maybe the easiest way to get offended nowadays is through text message. I just is what it is. And so I've offended a whole lot of people just not paying attention to, or just now I do voice text, like, hey, do this, and it translates something not right. So I'll just give you a few of them I thought were funny. He said, once I texted my mom, grandma's good, but it autocorrected to grandma's gone. Mass panic. <laughs> right? You can imagine that would be a good one. Uh, my grandma thought, this is a lot of grandma ones. My grandma thought laugh out loud meant lots of love. So when my brother got a concussion, she texted him, heard you got a concussion, laugh out loud. It's <laughs> not good. All right, so mom sent a group message to my siblings saying, daddy's in heaven and failed to attach a photo with him with his new boat. <laughs> that would happen with me at the golf course. Like mom, like my wife would send, daddy's in heaven, <laughs> you know, and not a good one. All right, so. Once I text my friend, talk to you later, that's TTYL. Somebody's like, what are these things? I've never seen them before. I'm, I'm making you hip. T talk to you later. He, said, he asked what that meant, and I said, talk to you later, and he replied, geez, just asking, right? You're like, man, that's kind of, <laughs> golly, all right. Asked my husband to pick up water at the grocery store. This is a good one. He immediately wrote back, who is that? My text said to pick up Walter. <laughs> I would totally get that. I'd be like, who is Walter. So um, don't show the next one because this, this one is from my wife to me. Now, before I show it to you, I want to show you, like, this is how easily offended I get. I'm going to tell you a story. So my wife, I'm random. I'm having a bad day. I'm having a bad day. And uh, yes, your pastor has bad days. Just, 
I'm looking up at heaven. You know, everybody just wake up mad. I just woke up mad. My wife's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't even know. Just mad. She goes, well, about what? I go, I, and I, I, I couldn't figure it out. I was trying to figure out what I was mad about. So I kind of was fussy with her a little bit. And uh, so I go to work, and I'm at work, and I get this text message. And uh, this is the, and it's just a picture. My wife sends this text message picture to me. And so this is what she sent me. And uh, this is the picture she sends to me. And she's got to read it across. So this, is, this starts here, then here, then here, then here, then here, and then it leads to, oh, every, oh, right. You know how I took it? You're a jerk. You're always a jerk to me. Why are you a jerk when I'm just trying to hug you? She now has to hug a jerk. The jerk becomes me eventually, and then I say I'm sorry. And I literally got my phone up to send back to her, well, you're not perfect either. <laughs> right? I'm like, why would you send this to me? I'm not having a good day. Like, what's wrong with you? And I go home late. I didn't send it. Thank God I didn't send it. I literally had it in the the message to send. And I got distracted and I didn't send it. And I came home and I looked at my text message. I go, I go, why did you send this to me? She goes, oh baby, I just wanted you to know I'm always with you. Like I loved you no matter what, even if you're having a bad day, I'm with you. And I'm like, oh, that's totally how I took it. Right? Oh. My boo. But, like, it's easy to get offended, right? Is anybody else like me? I'm looking like, say something. Please give me a reason to be fleshy right now. Right? I call it fleshy. Yeah, not spirit. I want fleshy out. But, like, your, your in-laws told you something about your parenting. You, you didn't get invited to the party, and you saw on Facebook the pictures, best party ever, and you, isn't it what you, come on, how many of you have clicked the picture just to see who was invited in the picture? Anybody but me, come on, come on, please raise your hand, don't, don't leave your pastor hanging, okay, good, you're like, you're like, why did I not get invited to the party? Or you texted someone, I'm telling you, texted the devil. And you texted someone and they left you on read. Come on. They, you saw they read it. And they didn't text you back. You want to drive your pastor crazy. Make him go BC version of himself. Me text you and you don't text me back. My old staff knows that. I'm like, just send something back. A period or a dot or an emoji. Just tell me you got something. Because I'm just so easy to get offended. And I was thinking about it, why we get offended. And I think... Two main reasons popped out. Number one, I think sometimes you had real pain that happened in your life. Hey, the truth is, is we could take it wrong, but the truth is sometimes it just is wrong. And Joseph's life was that. He got offended, and, and he, well, he actually had something bad happen to him. Like it was wrong, you know. He was a little mouthy with his dream, but they didn't need to throw him in a pit and send him into slavery. It seems like an overreaction to the action, right? So something could happen to you. Maybe you were abused. Maybe your friend stabbed you in the back. Maybe there was betrayal. Maybe you weren't promoted. Maybe you had a, a relationship that gone sour, and now you soured on all relationships. Come on, like, 
I'm not saying that there isn't real things that happen to us. And there are real things that can happen to us to get us into offense. But if I'm honest, if, I'm you, if, if, if I can just share with you some insight from a pastor's perspective, many times in counseling when I talk to people, most offense comes from people who are looking for it. And if you're looking to be offended, you're going to find it. The world will give you ample opportunities to stay in the funk of offense. And it always comes in what I call the space between. Um, this is, this, I'm breaking this down because this is important because some of you don't even know this space exists. So in all of life, okay, there's action and then reaction, right? That's kind of a, like a law of physics and science. But what we forget to know is there's a space between the action and the reaction. There's a space where we, we put something in that space that determines the reaction that we have. So I, I, it, it's, it's the space between that we don't focus on that ultimately will determine that reaction in the spot. So my wife, let's, for example, just leave that there. My wife, for example, had an action. She sent me a text message. I put something in the space that allowed me to react to that text message, right? And what you put in the space between ultimately determines the outcome of what's going to happen. And your two main options that you have, there's only two, primarily, is accusation or love. Now, the first one is accusation. The first one's so simple because this is the one you and I get fed regularly. And honestly, it's the plan of the enemy. Did you know in Revelations chapter 12, the enemy is actually called the accuser? He's the accuser of the brethren. He accuses you. He accuses me. He wants you to accuse others. So in my text message moment, my wife sent me a text message that was intended to be good. I accused her of being like snippy and mean and unkind, and I accused her of wrongdoing, therefore led me to offense. Accusation always leads us to Offense, And he wants you to insert himself into every moment that happens to you. Every single moment. My wife, I, I'm going to have a bunch of fun stories today. Because I told you, I'm really good at this. My wife, she came up to me. By the way, accusation is kind of a form of a lie. You don't even know it's true. And Satan is the father of lies. Again, he wants you to accuse people. You meant to hurt me. You meant it. My wife, she, middle of the day, I'd given her a kiss. She's so pretty. I kissed her, walked away. And she was in the bathroom. And she yelled out, hey, babe, did you brush your teeth? Have you ever done, come on, married people, have you done that before with your, your spouse recently? Anybody? Oh, anybody? Come on. Come on, be some participatory church in here. There we go. Yeah, you did that. Or you, you did it in your own way where you were like, hey, you know, when's the last time, like, did you? Are you sure? Do you want some mouthwash? You want some, or you do it like this, the nice way. You want some gum? 
And she asked me outside the bathroom. She goes, did you what? You brush your teeth? And I'm just telling you, I don't know why it gets me fired up. Because there's nothing wrong with asking your spouse. Is there anything wrong with that? Like, she's trying to help you, right? Guys, they're trying to help you. They be trying to help you because your breath is funky. And can I be honest? I stand outside the church a lot. And some of y'all, never mind. Okay, so get off of that. Just Anyway. So she asked me, you, did you brush your teeth? I said, yeah, I brushed my teeth. I brushed my teeth like three times a day. I've been on that in prison line that I got to get on my face. And I've been doing it, and I had to take it out and I brush my teeth. I brush it all the time. I was like, I got to brush it. I brush. I brush with mouthwash, and I floss, and I water pick, and I do all the brushes. I brush. I'll teach you how to brush your teeth. <laughs> and she goes, I was just asking because you left your stuff out. I was going to help you put it away. Like, oh, I know. I was just kidding. Yeah, right? That, that's what we do, guys. That's our parachute out. I was just kidding. I wasn't just kidding. I was offended. I thought what she did to me, she meant to do it. So I accused her, right? I accused her. I naturally thought if she does something wrong or what's perceived as wrong, she meant it. It was a part, by the way, science and psychology, I did like a two-year study on just mind stuff. I was going through anxiety issues and depression. I was struggling really bad. So I just kind of deep-dived in the research of it. Psychologists call this the fundamental attribution error. The fundamental attribution error. The definition of this, and I'm going to explain it to you, is pretty interesting. This is, a bias, this is the bias to attribute our own actions to our circumstances while attributing someone else's actions to their character. So, so it's saying, if I did something offensive, I had a good reason for it, or the circumstance just determined it, and therefore you should give me grace. But if you did something wrong or offensive, then it was your character and you deserve death, <laughs> right? And that there's a fundamental characteristic flaw in all of humans to think if I get cut off in traffic, they were waiting for me to get out of my driveway. They were waiting for me to drive down the road. They saw my driver's license. They knew it was me. And then they targeted me and came after me and waited until they had a perfect opportunity to cut me off, to flip me off, to hit the brakes and make sure it was personal. And you're like, well, that seems a little over the top. But that's how you act when someone accidentally cuts you off. They meant it. It's their character. They serve Satan. That's why we don't give none of y'all driving stickers for your cars. As long as I'm the pastor at this church, as long as Pastor Jason's the executive pastor at this church, stop asking for it. There are no Rise Church car stickers ever. Because you can't handle it. Right? Isn't it true? You will get cut off by someone. They flip you off, and the church sticker's on the back of their car. You're like, what? <laughs> Calling the pastor right now. <laughs> but you think because they, they talk bad about you, they meant it. They hurt you. 
And you've got to accuse them, and accusation only leads to offense. There's no other pathway. But Jesus says, I think God wants you to put love, to put love in the middle. And when you put love in the middle, it always leads to grace. It has to. It's the way of the Lord. I like what 1 John chapter 4 says. It says, God wants you to fill this. He says, anyone who does not love does not know God. Because what? Because God is what? Is God accusation? Is, is God hatred? Is God evil? God's love. And so when we put God in the middle of it, it ultimately leads us to a better outcome that we can actually, I think, be more like Christ. So three things that, in my time I have left, just quick, three things that I think love does if you put it in the middle. Number one, love believes the best. Here's what love looks like, because it's going to lead to this question, because you're like, okay, Pastor, I'll put love in the middle, but I don't know what that means. So what you're saying is when somebody cuts me off, I just got to go, I love you. <laughs> and like, you know, I'm going to flip them off where they can't see it, right? Like stuff like that. I know what you all do. But love believes the best. Proverbs 17, 9 says, whoever would foster love covers over an offense. Huh. These are the Bible verses no one ever puts on their body or bumper sticker. You don't like these ones. I don't want these ones. Like love covers an offense. No, I want love to reveal the offense so that they can get blasted on Facebook. Right? Come on. We got to be real. But no, love gives the benefit of the doubt. Or love assumes the best. Love judges. Bible says this as a great statement, judges favorably. That's not that you don't judge them. You've got to judge. You, everybody judges somebody. In fact, the Bible doesn't say not judge. It said be careful if you judge because how you judge, you will be judged. So if you are going to judge, I would judge favorably. I would walk around with a bucket of grace. They didn't mean that. Because I'm going to do something dumb, and eventually I'm going to need somebody to say, they didn't mean that. So when my, these are all fun. I'm just giving you all my offenses. I really believe in my heart. This is going to sound crazy to you. This is how jacked up your pastor is. When I text my wife, anything. And then I see her bubbles. Right? Y'all know the bubbles that pop up when somebody's texting? Do they even do that on Android? Does Android even have text message? <laughs> Sorry. Apple world. But I'll text my wife and she'll bubbles. And then she won't text me back. And I'll look at it like, oh. And what I naturally have created in my mind, here's what I think she does. I'm my wife. I really think she does that when she doesn't text me. Guys, do you think that when you text your wife, isn't it true, guys, when we text our wife, it's always important, Right? Always. It's urgent always. She goes, it didn't seem that big of a deal. It's always a big deal. If it ain't a big deal, I, didn't, I wouldn't text you. Thank you. I got one honest dude in this church. So I think she goes, oh, this is just errand. 
Or love goes, she's busy. Or her phone died. Or she forgot. And doesn't she have the ability to forget? Isn't it okay? Don't I have enough love and grace for my wife? Y'all hear what I'm saying, right? There's difference. I could see it. But in the moment, I just want to love. So love means believing the best. Love means making room for the best of someone's faults. Ephesians 4, be patient with each other. I, I hate this verse. Making allowance for each other's faults. Oh, doesn't that just hurt when you read it? Oh, I want to rewrite this. Don't be patient with each other. Make sure that the allowance is for you and not for them because God is loving you don't need to be. You know, that's kind of my... That's the A ver, AV version, the Aaron version. But it doesn't. I got to make allowance for others' faults because of your, because of your love. I got to do that. And, and look, look, if somebody intentionally hurts you, come on. Like, let's... Because what we naturally do is we go, well, does that mean everybody? Like, that, I mean, the people that try to kill me or abuse me? No. No. There's nowhere in Scripture that says you should put, submit yourself to abuse. That's not what this is saying. No one in Scripture does it say for you to project yourself to evil. All I'm saying is that even the people who meant you, Joseph had to do that. The people who meant him harm. You know his perspective was? God meant it for good, which means God redeemed what even evil people think they can get from you. You got to think like that. Otherwise, accusation creates offense. Offense creates bitterness. And no one in life, I've never met anybody who goes, I'm so offended. Life is great. <laughs> the bitterness in my heart has created the best version of myself. No one says that. But we live like that and we expect the opposite. If you want a good, wholesome, free life, Jesus, and I'm telling you, the scriptures teach us, you gotta love. Number two, love reinforces our identity. First Peter chapter two, just in case you were mistaken on who you are, he says you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That you are somebody independent of your issues and independent of other people's issues that happened to you. And when you insert love between the action and the reaction, it just reinforces your identity and doesn't allow their identity or lack of character to inform your lack of character. This is a great proverb. It's an old Greek proverb, actually. It's not from Proverbs. It's an old proverb, so it's not in the Bible, but it's a fun story that I think represents this very, very well. It says, a man sees a snake burning in the flames and decides to free it from the fire. The snake bites him as soon as he catches it, and it, and it bites him and causes the person excruciating pain. The person immediately throws the snake away and it falls back into the burning flame. At this point, the person looks around and finds a metal stick. He uses the stick to save the snake from the flames. Another person who was watching from the incident approached with the person from the side and asked him, the snake bit you. Why are you trying to save his life? And the man replied, he said, the nature of the snake is to bite. My nature is to help. And what happens in life is somebody's going to bite you. And what you do and what I do and what we all do is we allow the bite to now make us biters. 
when that isn't your nature. And so Satan would love to come and reprogram who you are. And he does that through other broken people. So one of his plans, I'm just revealing it to you because if you know where he's coming from, if you know what the enemy's doing, you know how to recognize it. So when somebody comes up and they get your order wrong, Oh, I like this one. They get your order wrong. You were at the dinner table. I recently had it. I was at the dinner table eating something with somebody in our church. We haven't been. It's a beautiful place. I'm in this spot, sitting in my chair. We're in our city. They should know who I am. And it took them 20 minutes just to take our order. And I looked at my wife. I'm offended. The guy bit me because, I don't know if you know this or not, but if I go to a restaurant, I'm hungry. So it would be who of you as a waiter or a waitress to come with it quick. He didn't do it. And so his lack of integrity or character on my side, that's what I thought it was. That's what I assumed it was. Come on, I accused him of that. Made me bite back. And I was thinking about it. I was like, man, that's not who I am. That's not who I want to be. I allowed somebody's issues to determine my issues. And now, instead of trying to be a helper, I'm now a herder. And you see the cycle of that in all of y'all's lives. And we say it all the time, right? Hurt people hurt people. That ain't Christians. Christians hurt people help people. We have grace for people. We've been given the benefit of the doubt for the people. So before I get cut off in traffic, I know who I am. Before I get reprimanded from my boss for the things I didn't do, I know who I am. Before I'm mistreated at a restaurant, okay, Lord, I know who I am. Before my wife says an unkind thing to me and sends me a text message, I know who I am. And even if she meant it to hurt my feelings, I know firmly who I am. Love plants me firmly in who I am and who I'm supposed to be. Number three is this, love allows us to let it go. This is the greatest song in the history of Disney. Because some of y'all need to go back and watch Frozen again. And sing that song with all your little heart. Some of you in private, because it's not good. It's for your family's sake. Um, but you need to. The only way you can let it go. Let it go. It's through love. A person's of wisdom yields patience. Proverbs 19. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Because you thought overlooking an offense only helps them. Well, if I let it go, then they're off the hook. No, they're not off the hook. You're off the hook. That's what the Bible said. That's what the Bible says. If you don't like the Bible, then you ain't going to like any of this. But the Bible says it's to one's glory. My glory to overlook an offense. Overlook in the Hebrew is their... Um, as our bar, it's, it's to pass over through or by or pass on. So it's not, instead of replaying it, because I don't know if y'all do that or not. Somebody did something to me, 
and I replay that situation over and over and over, and I magnify it, and I retell it, and I magnify it, and I retell it, and then I magnify it, and I replay it, and I retell it, and I replay it, and I say, if I get in that situation, here's what, oh, this is a good one. Does anybody do this? If I could go back and do it, I'd say this. <laughs> anybody do that other than me? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm the greatest second-person conversationer ever. But when you're not invited to the party, I overlook it. I let it go. When somebody's rude to me on social media through a comment, no, 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 no. It's to my glory that I overlook the offense. When my mother-in-law comments on my parent again, my parenting again, you letting them eat that, honey? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Isn't that how they are? Oh, yeah, you went over there? Mm, I never did that with my baby, no. When someone does something to you, this is not burying your head in the sand. This is not pretending like it didn't happen. This is an active letting it go. I'm gonna close with this. Um, there's a, I drive to CrossFit uh, three times a week. <laughs> three times a week, I gotta fight this wicked traffic in my street. And it's demonic. It's, there's no Christians in road. Isn't it true? In traffic, nobody's Christian. And uh, we're, I'm driving. And I have a, um, I'm a really, really good driver. Stop laughing. That wasn't a joke. I'm an okay driver. But one of the things I don't do is I don't tailgate because I just don't like that. It's kind of offensive to me. <laughs> Pun. Anyway, so like, I, I'm offended by it. And so I always leave space between me and the car in front of me. So I left, I always, even in rush hour, I just, I, in fact, what happens though is because I leave space in front of me, people always cut me off. Always cut me off. I'm trying to be right. And people be trying to be wrong in front of me. So I get a whole lot of, and can I be honest? If they would just give me the courtesy wave, it would all go under the blood. (laughs) Cut me off and just go. I would love it, but no one ever gives me the wave. I was in the morning getting cut off, doing the right thing, doing the right thing. And then all of a sudden we get to a stop and I get hit from behind. And it wasn't crazy hard, but it was boom. So the airbag didn't deploy or nothing, but I was like, holy cow. So naturally, I start to pull over. I had to cut someone off to get over. So I get over because I don't know what's going on. It's early in the morning. I get over. And I get, I'm in the left lane. There's two lanes. I'm in the left lane. I get over to the right lane. And the person behind me is, pulls up next to me. And she's not looking at me and pretending like nothing happened. And she's a teenage girl. And in that moment, your pastor was so kind. I was so loving. I was like, honk, honk, get over. We need to talk. Honk, 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 honk. Then other people start honking at her too. She's zoned out. You can tell she's freaked out. She doesn't know what to do. This is not paint your pastor well. I'm just telling you. This is what, but, so I'm zoned out. So she's, I'm like, I'm like, come on. So I stop honking because I don't want to scare her because I'm not evil. So I'm like, I'm like, 
So I start being like normal. Hey, we need to. And we drive for like three more stoplights. She is not paying attention. Other drivers are now yelling at her, trying to get her to like snap out of it. And the whole time she's just like this. So, so in that moment, I'm like, so I just, I, so I pull over off on the side, get into the parking lot. And I, I, I don't even, I don't even know what to do. So people come up and they, they pull alongside of me and say, Hey, we already called the cops. Like they're on their way, blah, blah, blah. So and, uh, and they're like, are you okay? And they're like talking about her. Like, oh my gosh, she's the worst ever. Can you believe that? All this kind of stuff. And I'm like, and in that moment, when you get around other people who've been offended before, you can tell this has happened to them. They're like, let's get her. You want me to go get her? Like I had people like, I'm like, get her? What are we going to do? Are we going to go rumble in the streets? But we say dumb things. So the cops come and they're like, did you get her license plate? I'm like, yeah, I got her license plate. And they're like, and I never, I, it was funny because they're like, You need to press charges. You need to go get her. Take her. Like, these are the officers. All the people. And I'm like, and they say, but it's up to you. And I was like, okay. And uh, they said, let us know what, what you want to do. So I get home. And it bothered me for like a couple of days. And my wife walks up to me. She goes, why don't you just let it go? I said, you don't understand. You're asking somebody who is an expert in offense and justice. And she goes, it's not going to be worth any of your time to be stressed out about it. Why don't you just, why don't you just let it go? Just, isn't it worth your sanity and your dignity just to let it go, just to be free from it? so that you don't have to worry about something or somebody. What if she, and she started making a case for her. And I hate that because I'm like, make a case for me first. And I remember when my wife says, she goes, you probably already thought through all the reasons why. She, she said, you already made a case for you. But what would believe the best? What would allow you to let it go? What would allow her non, maybe her non-character not affect your character? She goes, the Lord's blessed us with plenty of money. God's given us a blessing. Let us be fine. I get it. Aaron, it's wrong. But what if we just love her in the process? And it made me think about my boys now. Because I have 15-year-olds who drive now. Y'all see where I'm going with it? And so like, my babies are now driving an incredibly dangerous vehicle. And, you know, they might hit somebody. I hope they don't. But I had like 18 accidents in the first three years of my driving. It's crazy. I'm a good driver. But if one of my sons bumps somebody, I hope they give, her, give them grace. And you know what I did in the spirit? I just sowed a seed because it wasn't worth it. And I really believe this in all my heart. I think the seed that I sowed with that, that young girl 
I'm going to reap a harvest with my young boys. Because it's to my glory to overlook an offense. Does it make it wrong or right what she did? No. It's still wrong. I'm just going to overlook it. I'm going to let it go so it doesn't bother me and bring me down. Here's why. If you're taking notes, you didn't take one note. Write this down. The calling ahead of me is greater than the offense behind me. The calling ahead of me is greater than the offense behind me. Come on, you can clap to that. The calling ahead of me is greater than the offense behind me. And there are some of us in here who are stuck in offense. I'm asking you, let it go. By the Holy Spirit, let it go. You don't know what they did. I get it. Let it go. It's not right that they did that. I get it. Let it go. It's to your glory to let it go. Pass over. Don't replay it. Stop magnifying it and stop retelling it. Let it go. And I believe that God will show up in your, on your behalf if we do that. Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. Thank you that you're here with us. And thank you that, Father, you're speaking to us in many ways. What a, what a tough topic to talk about, offense, because it just reminds us of all the areas that we need to let, let it go. We need to move on, move past. We need to believe the best to insert love and not accusation. So, Father, I thank you that today, God, right now, everyone in here has a step to take and that you would give them the, the courage, the courage to take that step and the wisdom to know which one it is. In Jesus' name.